Matthew chapter 13 and Romans chapter 3. Matthew chapter 13 and Romans chapter 3. Amen. Good to see everybody this morning. There's no place I'd rather be than in the house of God. Whether we're having a good day or a bad day, there's no better place than to be with God's people. You know, um, Brian McBride was in a tent meeting, I've said this many times, and and um, he's in a tent meeting, and, and man, just the people were singing, and he was just getting a blessing out of the music, and God was moving, God was in, the, in, in, their, in their midst. And you say, well, how do you know? Because we're two or more gathered together. He said, he'll be here. So God's presence is here. Whether we accept it or we're open to it or not, he, he's here. And he and Brian McBride, uh, brother Brian McBride went to the nursery and he got his little baby and he just held his baby, just wanted to be in the presence. Amen. I'm thankful for a church house. I'm thankful for a group of believers that we have a unified goal to see whatever God says and to worship in truth. Amen. Not an agenda. Not what the pastor has to say. Not what culture says. What truth is. Amen. This morning I'd like to tell you that hell is a place filled with crying and gnashing of teeth and I'd like to submit to you this morning that in heaven there too will be a time of crying and gnashing of teeth and you say well what do you mean by that? Well we'll look at some scripture in a little bit that will explain that clearly but for now let's look at Matthew chapter 13 verse 49 we'll work up to that. Jesus says, so shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. And shall cast them into the furnace, uh, into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. You know, from that verse alone, we can see that there will be a future separation of people. That's not hard to see, right? In the one, you have, uh, the, you have the wicked, those who, are, uh, who have chosen to deny Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And the other group of people are the just, those who have accepted Christ as a personal Savior. And some might say, well, so the self-righteous then get to go to heaven? No, 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 no. Not even close. Uh, Not self-righteousness, not our righteousness, but his righteousness. Amen. Turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Can I I tell you as you're turning there that as a child of God uh, on... On our way to heaven, we are not declaring our righteousness. We are literally declaring his righteousness. Because there's no righteousness in us. It's all through him and of him. Amen. Amen. Romans 3.22 says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. I'm so glad that all means all. Amen. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners, every one of us, every man, woman, and child, everyone in the past, present, or future, all of us are sinners in the eyes of God. 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to, look at this, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Brother Riley, would you open this message in a word of prayer, sir? Amen. 
Amen. If you could, can you turn to Revelations chapter 20? We'll be there in a moment. Revelations chapter 20. There is a family that visited here for a short time on and off, and the mother once told me that one of her children had asked her how to get to heaven. And she was sharing this with me, and And in that conversation, she told me that, um, you know, as a pastor, I should explain, you know, from the pulpit how to get to heaven. And uh, my first thought was, wow, maybe I'm not declaring the gospel message enough. Like, that's my first thought, like, wow, you know, maybe, maybe am I not giving a salvation message enough for putting salvation in messages? This went through my mind, right? And rightfully so, as it should. But after I thought a while, I'm talking days, and I looked over my messages, and I realized, man, I, I got salvation all over. I preached just, just salvation messages in the weeks and months that that family was here, and in, 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 in all throughout messages. Even when it wasn't a specific salvation message, I'd have salvation. Not all of them, but a whole lot of them. And I'm pondering on those things, and then I thought on it some more, and I came to, re- to the realization that it is not my job in the home when a child asks mom and dad how to get to, to heaven, particularly if you're claiming to be a Christian and you're saved. If you're saved this morning and you got kids, you shouldn't have to call the pastor and say, hey, can you come over here and show them how to get you? Right. If you're saved... You ought to be able to show anybody, let alone your children, how to get saved. That it's not the responsibility of the pastor. I mean, anybody that's saved, whether it's a pastor or a Christian, any capacity would be happy at that invitation. Yeah, we'd come over and show anybody how to get saved. That's an invitation I don't think anybody would turn down that loves the Lord. But it's not the pastor's responsibility, the church's responsibility. It's my responsibility to teach my children. Yes, I bring them to church, and I thank God they get messages, but, but it doesn't fall on the pastor. I was explaining to a co-worker just this week that when they died, if they didn't accept Christ, that they would go to a place called hell, and that is in the center of the earth as we speak right now. But, but one day after the judgment, everyone that is in hell will be cast into a lake of fire because he brought up lake of fire. And I said, well, actually, the lake of fire isn't specifically till after the judgment. Turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. It says, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. By the way, what are the books that are opened? It's these books. This is what uh, uh, mankind will be judged by. Amen. It says, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Who's judged according to their works? The lost souls that have not accepted Christ as their Savior. Those who are not written in the Lamb's book of life. There's nothing more important in all of eternity than to make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That's it. Revelation 20 verse 14 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
So after judgment, who's cast into the lake of fire? All those who have died and gone to hell. Jump over to Revelation 21.8. Revelation 21.8. It says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You know, I'm glad it's not self-righteousness. Because our righteousness, well, well, Scripture says as filthy rags, actually describes it much worse than that. But when I think of, when I think of um, people that are in hell or deserving of hell, I'll be honest with you, my first thought is, is wicked people. Uh, 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 I think of murderers and rapists and people who are just all of the worst people I can think of. That's, that, that, that's the first people that go to my mind. I've looked at some documentaries this week, even before preparing for a message. I don't know why. Maybe it came up on YouTube when I was going through messages. But, and I was watching uh, and listening to Holocaust documentaries. And those Germans did some of the most wicked things that mankind has just, I don't know if I'd say ever done, because Bible times, they would literally burn babies alive. But boy, they did some wicked things. There was a Nazi chief uh, physician, his name was Dr. Joseph Mengele. He, he, would, he was known for, for conducting sick and twisted medical procedures, things like Ripping the skin off people just to see how long they live without skin. He took the arms off two little twin boys and then sewed them together just to see how they would react. Sick and twisted. There's a, one of the guards in the camps, Irma Greece, if I'm saying it right, or Gressy. She was called the Beast of Berlin. I'm sure you guys have all heard some of these stories in times past. And she was in the women camps, and the women feared her so greatly. There's a long list of atrocities that she would do, but one of which she was known for stomping women to death. She had steel at the bottom of her boots just for this. She would literally stomp women till they died, stomping on them. And they had nowhere to go but to be stomped on. Not just young women, little girls, not just old women, but pregnant women. When I think of hell, I think of people like this, just being honest. Just being honest. During the Nazi trials, there was a man named Oscar Groening, known as the bookkeeper of Auschwitz. And in the trial, he told about one of many stories, and I just picked a few just because they, they're so troublesome to me. One of the stories he told in the trials, he admitted guilt and everything, but he told of a story where it was earlier on and in, in, in they're going through the sorting process of all the Jews and her mother had hid, hid a little girl in a suitcase, so she must have been at least no bigger than that. Hmm. And... Um, <clears throat> Um, a mother hid her girl in a suitcase and a German soldier made the mother take her out and uh, didn't just kill the girl, but took the girl by her feet. 
and swung her around and smashed her into a brick wall until her skull collapsed. And then picked up the girl and gave it back to her mother. This is the kind of thing that sin does and that people will do. I can hardly think of anything worse. But this man on trial, and this just shows you how calloused, how sin sick that they were. That he, he literally said openly in court as an old man, he said, I could have handled it if he would have just shot her in the head. But what I saw her do really bothered me. Like that was so much worse. Nazi soldiers would, would force men to hold up rocks until they couldn't hold them up anymore. If you dropped a rock, you get shot, and they would make bets among the guards. Not just men, though, but little boys holding up big rocks. I don't care who you are, what part of the world you came from, if you're rich or you're poor. God sent his son so that we could be saved from a death and a hell in the place where all liars and all idolaters and all whoremongers and all sick Nazi guards, a place that they would go to. If it were my standard of righteousness, they'd all burn in hell for eternity because my flesh gets, gets in the way and it gets thinking about things. That would be my personal justice system. Send them all to a lake of fire. And when I look at verses like this, Revelation 21 8, I, I can easily think about those German soldiers and the sick twist of things that they would do to children and mankind. But as I said Wednesday, the problem is so often is we don't think honestly. We don't look at Scripture honestly. Because if we read too fast, we won't get it. The disturbing thing is that my sins are mentioned in the same sins as those guards. Let's read that again. Revelation 21.8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable all and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters were all guilty and all liars were all guilty shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. That verse describes my sins in there too. I'm so glad for the free gift of salvation that I don't have to be judged at the last day with everyone summoned up from hell under judgment day to be judged by these books because all my sins are literally covered under the blood of Jesus Christ and how wonderful that is. I wouldn't want to spend a minute in a room with any of those people that did those things let alone an eternity, let alone a place of misery, an eventual lake of fire. You, you know, that's not even the worst part. Do you know the torment isn't even the worst part? The worst part about hell and the lake of fire is that there's no hope. There's no hope. There's no God. There's no peace. There's no one to pray to anymore. Psalms 103.12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. 
Whew, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful my sins are forgiven. Amen. Amen. By the way, God removes sins as far as the east is from the west, even in the Old Testament. That's important to know. Turn to Matthew chapter 7, 21. Matthew 7, 21. Jesus saith, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that, that ought to disturb anybody that's reading that for the first time. Anybody that's thinking, hey, as long as I call myself a Christian, then I'm going to heaven and I don't have to go to hell. But see, that's, that's not the case. Jesus himself said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Church, hell isn't just filled with wicked, nasty Nazi soldiers. It's filled with people that claim to be Christians, people that are faithful to church, people that give tithes, people that uh, um, do things for the homeless, people that um, have a ministry of any capacity, Pastors even, evangelists, anybody that has not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And that would not just mean prophesying in their name, uh, preaching in their name. That doesn't just mean being part of things that are good in the name of Hope Baptist Church or a Christian church. Just because you're born in the pastor's family does not mean you're saved, Amen. Hell is going to be filled with a whole lot of people that had good intentions. A whole lot of people that were good Christians. They had nice homes and nice lawns and they were very kind. And maybe were uh, um, um, generous in giving to people. You say, well, how can that be? Because all of those things are good, but none of them will get you into heaven. Many of us know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. It's nothing we can do because it's not of works lest any man could boast. There's a lot of rich people in different religions, not just Christianity, different religions that they give, they give abundantly to the religion thinking that, well, I just bought my way. I just bought my way and I'm good. Turn to Luke chapter 13, verse 28. Luke chapter 13, verse 28. Here's the answer to the, what I'm getting at from where I started this morning. The view of heaven that hell's going to see. Jesus said, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When? He says, when ye shall see Abraham in Isaac, in Jacob, and all the prophets, where? In the kingdom of God, and you yourself thrust out. Where's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in heaven? And those who are brought up from hell, the center of the earth, are going to come up before the presence of God on judgment day. They're going to be judged out of 66 books. That's our word of God. Because if we were honest with ourselves, it doesn't matter how good you are, none of us can match up to this. Not even, not, we, we can't even, 
We can't even list the Ten Commandments and say, yep, I follow all those because every one of us are guilty of it. Right. Something along the lines, we're guilty of it. Amen. I thank God we put on his righteousness. Amen. The weeping and gnashing of teeth isn't just in the lake of fire, but in heaven on judgment day in the presence of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Maybe upon the realization of where they're about to go, maybe they can see it, I don't know. But the idea of no hope, no God, that's the scariest thing. You know what the gospel message is? You know what gospel means? Gospel just means good news. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is what? That God sent his son because we sinned, started back in Adam and Eve. But let's be honest, if we were honest with ourselves, if they wouldn't have done it, Brother Jim would, and Ben would, and Rob would, and I would have, it would have been any one of us down the line would have been sinners. But I'm so glad that God, before the foundation of the earth even started, before he even thought about, man, should I, no pun intended, man, should I make creation, but... He knew the sins that would be committed. He knew about the torture of the Nazi guards, the, 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 the Holocaust and what they did to the Jews. He knew about all the rapists and all the murderers. And here's what we can't even fathom, that God's grace is so great that that is so beyond our standards of righteousness and our standards of justification and our standards of right and wrong. We're going down the road. We want to knock somebody off the road because we get angry. Right? But God thought, knowing all the suffering and all the pain that would happen, God thought that it would be worth it to save any who was willing in eternity away from that. Let alone the benefits of the joys of heaven. We can't... Just as we can't fathom the atrocities and the horrors of hell, we can't fathom the greatness of heaven. No matter how bad our worst day is, a child of God, thank God we are saved. We got something to rejoice about. We have something to share. We ought to be sharing with our children and with our coworkers, with strangers, how great God is because there's a judgment day coming. Turn to Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. Gary Duty wrote a song. Heaven's penman. The song refers to the fact that if your name is written down in the book of life, which it is, then somebody's writing it. And and, and we can speculate that somebody physically writes it. God just might make it happen. It might be Jesus. It might be somebody else. It's a great song. That name gets down there somehow. Amen. It's Amen. There's a song, I think it might even be a hymn. The Rochester sing it. Um, um, I know, I know my name is there. I know, I know my name is written there. And the ver- verses are good too, amen. But here's the thing, and we start coming to a close here. We not only have our names as children of God, accepting Christ for the Savior who he is. Not just somebody who, who, who died for men and we acknowledge that he did that, but that we accepted him as our personal Savior for doing that. And we worship him and we follow him, amen, as a child of God. But we not only have our names written down in the book of life, but we are going to receive new names. 
I mean, we get the hymn. Uh, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. Jesus said, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Look at this. And will give him a white stone. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth save he that receiveth it. That's exciting. You know, God doesn't do things on accident. God doesn't do things on a whim. God does things precisely and specifically. And it might seem like on a whim to us, maybe at the moment. But it's not that way. There's things in, in my life I could just sit here and point to you all day, and I'm sure you guys can too, that at the time it seemed like it didn't make any sense. Why would God allow this? And then you look back in your life and you realize, oh, God meant that for this, and God meant that suffering, what we called suffering, for good. Right. So we're going to be given a white stone, and we're going to have a new name written in it. There's more verses for that, but I don't want to grow that as much. But I want to say this. I was looking at um, secular history and looking up white stones and black stones. And in ancient Greece, during a trial, uh, the white stone represented the acquittal of one being tried. The white stone actually represented innocence, whereas a black stone represented guilt. It's almost like God knew that. Almost like God's doing that on purpose. But that's not all. That, that's not all. Also in ancient Greece, white stones engraved with the victors' names were awarded to the champions of athletic games. These victor stones allowed admittance to celebrate in feasts. Well, that's pretty awesome. Because the same kind of thing is happening to us when we get to heaven. We're going to be given white stones. It's going to represent innocence. Amen. We're going to have a new name written. It's going to be carved in the stone. I'm not going to be throwing that stone at nobody. I'm going to be holding on to it. Amen. It's going to be precious. Amen. Turn to one more scripture and we'll close. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. That's awesome. Everybody's there. I, that's amen. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. A doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And look at this, and this is so important. And do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. It doesn't matter that you go to church. That, that's, that's, that, that, that's nothing compared to salvation. It doesn't matter that you give tithes. That's nothing. Nothing compared to salvation. Paul, before he called himself Paul, his name is also Saul. And he was the most religious of all religious people. He, 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 he did everything any religious person could do. You name it, he did it. Fervently. He did it well. I would even say he'd do anything in the name of the God that he was worshiping. And he did. He would torture people. I believe murder people, but he would torture them madly, he said. Joyfully. Wickedly. All in the name, all in the pursuit of God. But his life didn't change because he was religious. 
His life changed because he accepted Christ as his personal Savior. All of a sudden, his whole message changed. Oh, he knew the Old Testament scriptures in and out. But now he was understanding them like he never understood them before. It wasn't just history that he could read and recite, but it was something that he could give a, 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 a true gospel message. It's all but dung in comparison to salvation. Our job as Christians should be get the gospel out, get the gospel out, get the gospel out. Teach our children what it means to be uh, godly. Teach them maturity. Uh, teach them not just by, hey, look, do what they do, but hey, I'm going to live the Christian life. Let me lead by example children. And if Hope Baptist Church wants to have a year of outreach, we're going to have to have that mindset on each and every one of our hearts. Not for during church time when we say amen, but when church is over on Sunday afternoon and on Monday morning and on Monday night and Tuesday morning and on Tuesday night. And lead by example. Because we have a God that's worth it. And for some reason, and I don't know why, but he thought we were worth it. Amen. That will never make sense and maybe never will. I thank God for it. Let's close in a word of prayer. I thank you, Lord, for the power of your...